morning, everybody. My name is DJ Martin. I'm the church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Welcome to our online worship service. It's great to have you with us today. Today we're continuing our Costly Faith series, and today we are doing part two of our forgiveness teaching. So faith when I need to forgive. Throughout this morning's service, we want to invite you to engage the content. We've created this service to, to be engaging um, so that you can have opportunity to have conversation with those you're with or take time to pause the video and reflect just between you and the Lord if you're alone. So throughout the morning, there's going to be discussion questions or reflection questions. When those come up on the screen, that's your chance to pause the video and just take a few moments to slow down and process the content of what's going on. You know, in the Christian faith, forgiveness is such an important topic. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus in his crucifixion when he's spread out um, on our behalf on the cross. And one of the things he chooses to say in that moment is, Father, forgive them. This is the model. This is the example that God has given us through his son. We are to be a people of forgiveness as we walk out our faith, our belief, our trust, and allegiance in Jesus Christ. Well, each week we've also been working on a memory verse. So that's what we're going to start our service with, is the opportunity to work on memorizing Galatians 2.20. I'm going to read it, and then I invite you to pause the video and spend a few moments or a few minutes with your family or just on your own with the Lord memorizing Galatians 2.20. Let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ... It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Go ahead and pause the video and work on the verse and then join us as we continue the service. This morning's call to worship comes from Colossians chapter 3, and I chose this passage because of the beautiful words it speaks about being a people of forgiveness in keeping with our topic this morning. So I want to invite you to stand if you're physically able or if you're in a place where you can do that. And would you read this out loud with me? Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect 
unity. Amen. You can have a seat. This is one of my favorite passages that I return to over and over again. And if you've been a part of Parker Ford's community for any length of time, you've probably heard me uh, refer to that passage. And it just seems so appropriate to go there once again this morning as we're thinking about the forgiveness of Jesus that he offers even while he's being crucified. Before we go into today's teaching, I want to invite you to have some discussion or some time of reflection um, around the following questions. So think about uh, these questions and spend some time discussing them or thinking through them. Why is forgiveness so central to the Christian faith? Is there a time when someone else extended the gift of forgiveness to you? Surely you've experienced the forgiveness of someone else. Um, and typically when someone forgives us of something significant, it's a transformative healing experience in our life. So think about a time when you received forgiveness and talk about that with your neighbors. What are the similarities and differences between forgiveness and reconciliation? Obviously, forgiveness and reconciliation are connected, but they're also nuanced and a little bit different. So what are some of the similarities and differences between forgiving someone and being reconciled with that person? So go ahead and spend some time discussing these questions, and then in, um, we invite you to, to join us for today's teaching. When I was a young child, my family lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and up until the age of nine, nine and a half, we lived in a house that had a big backyard, big front yard, and we lived on the end of a cul-de-sac, right in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And it was awesome because our neighborhood had a bunch of kids, and the kids would flock to my house uh, to play because we had the big yard, and plus we had the cul-de-sac out front to play basketball or roller skate, ride our bikes, and all that kind of stuff. But it was a busy neighborhood and there was traffic. And so we had to be careful because the cars uh, would drive around and sometimes they'd whip around uh, the corner and we'd have to be careful. Well, one day, I think we were playing wiffle ball and my friend hit the wiffle ball and I was chasing it down the street and I, I didn't do a good job of paying attention. And I was chasing the ball with my head down, gonna throw it back in when all of a sudden I heard a honking and the screeching of brakes and I look up and our neighbor almost hit me with their car. Now, my neighbor had done nothing wrong. They were going rather slowly. I just bolted out into the road right in front of their car. I was super scared, but even more than being scared, I think I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed because of what had happened and feeling like foolish or silly or something like that. So she got out of the car to say sorry, and I kind of just ran away, and I ran inside the house and went into my room. Well, our neighbor was really good friends with my parents, great neighbor, and she, she came to our house and knocked on the door, and my mom came to the door, and, and she explained to my mom what happened, and she felt bad about it and apologized. And of course, she hadn't done anything wrong, but she still wanted to make sure that I was okay. Well, she went home. My mom came to my room and she said, uh, DJ, I heard what happened. She shared with me what happened. Um, you need to stay in, uh, you need to go apologize for, for what happened. And I was so embarrassed, I, I didn't want to. I said, I'm not gonna go over there and talk to her. And my mom had a lot of wisdom and she just said to me, well, you can't leave your room until you go over and apologize. And so I was missing the beautiful afternoon as my friends continued to play outside right in front of my house, right outside my bedroom window. But I couldn't go join them because I was too stubborn to go apologize. Well, finally, as I was kind of weighing my embarrassment versus missing out on being with my friends, I decided that it probably was worth the cost to go and apologize. So I went out and I knocked on her door and I apologized. And of course, rather than her yelling at me or, you know, making a fool out of me, here, here I was, a little a young man, and she 
you know, forgave me and, and made the situation right with me and, and encouraged me that she knew it was an accident and all of that. I know that's just such a small thing. And receiving that forgiveness from her was a rel- relatively innocent situation. It wasn't a massive wounding of a relationship or anything like that. And yet, there was a lot of wisdom in what my mom did in, in forcing me to come to a place where I needed to apologize and ultimately reconciled this relationship that had had this awkward breach in it. And it taught me something. Obviously, I've remembered that, and I've thought about it over my life, how important it is. And as small as that situation was, it illustrates something for us that's bigger, the need to step into forgiveness and receive it, and how that opens up life, and that opens up relationships to be able to flow. Well, we are talking about forgiveness again today. Last week, we started a two-part teaching on forgiveness, faith when I need to forgive. And Dave Willauer, one of our ministers here at Park Ford uh, gave a message about Jonah on that topic. Today we're looking at Jesus and his forgiveness on the cross. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. Before we get into the scripture today, would you pray with me and let's invite the Lord to speak through his word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even when we run out in front of cars, (laughs) when we uh, ignore you, when we avoid your voice, when we act foolishly, when we're ashamed, when we're embarrassed, when we'd rather avoid your presence, you continually call us back home. Father, we thank you that you have poured out your forgiveness to us through Jesus, your son. And what's more than that, not stopping there, you've also offered to us the gift of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of the saints. And so today, as we engage the crucifixion story, and as we look at the words of Jesus, when going through this incredibly painful experience, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, may we learn to have the same heart of forgiveness that you have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Picking up in the story in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 13, This is when Jesus was before Pilate. It says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. 
Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Let's take a moment and just ponder the situation. Pilate has been saying he's done nothing wrong, deserving of death. Now, now Pilate is not without excuse. He certainly didn't exercise the authority, authority he did have to protect uh, Jesus. He still allowed him to be crucified. But essentially, Pilate is officially recognizing the fact that Jesus has do, done nothing deserving of crucifixion and death. Nothing that he said or done uh, could rightly or justifiably end in crucifixion, and yet it's happening. The crowd has been shouting, crucify him, crucify him. His disciples have been scattered. Peter has denied him. Judas has betrayed him. Everything that could go wrong seemingly has gone wrong, and he's bearing all this pain, and all of this anger is being poured out on him, and Jesus takes the time to look out and have compassion like he has throughout his life. And look at these people who by every right should be called his enemies. And he says, and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Think about this. Let the weight of this sink into your heart and spirit. We don't forgive people over petty stuff. You know, stealing a pencil or pen. <laughs> or, or maybe even more you know, significant, uh, the breaking of trust or the telling of a lie that hurt us. We're so often, we're so often um, driven by the rage for justice to not be able to extend that kind of grace. And yet here Jesus is receiving the ultimate injustice. This is the most unjust thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity. Jesus, without sin, without blemish, the Son of God, perfect in every way. And he's crucified. And he says, while it's happening, in the moment, Father, forgive them. Last year here at Parker Ford Church, one of the things we did was we recorded a series of teachings in our midweek teachings that go out on Wednesdays on the Sermon on the Mount. And we took time to look at Jesus' teaching in depth. Each week we took another passage. We did it for about 20 straight weeks where we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we tracked with a couple different books while we were doing that. One was The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, and the other was a, a recent devotional written by Sky Jatani, um, called What If Jesus Was Serious? And the whole point of the, the premise of the title of that book is, you know, it's easy to look at the Sermon on the Mount and think that certainly Jesus wasn't serious. In fact, Sky Jatani tells a story when he used to pastor in a local church setting. He was teaching a Sunday school class about the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he found all, um, many of the students in the Sunday school class um, sort of justifying themselves in light of the difficult teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, coming up with excuses. Well, that was then, that's not now. Or Jesus didn't really mean that. He meant this. And, and we do that all the time with the Word of God, right? Where we come across something that we don't like, and so we justify and we work our way around it. 
And Jatani's point was, no, Jesus was actually being serious. When he gave this teaching, he meant it. He meant for us to live by it. This is the way the kingdom of God is meant to be expressed and lived out in human life. And thus the title of this devotional, What If Jesus Was Serious As He Walks Through the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has a couple of different things that he taught at the beginning of his ministry that I want to revisit in light of this crucifixion story where Jesus, in the moment of crucifixion, forgives his enemies. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, starting in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Who is the expression, the most perfect expression of the child, the image of God? We know that it's Jesus. He's the firstborn of creation, as it says in Colossians 1. It's the very image of the invisible God. And he here is making peace with his enemies even as he's crucified. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is, this is, Jesus is exemplifying this to the T as he's persecuted because of his righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who does the kingdom of heaven ultimately belong to? Jesus, it belongs to the king. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now skipping ahead to verse 43, same chapter, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus was being serious. Put to the ultimate test. He lives this teaching out. He's not the type of teacher who says one thing and lives another thing. You know the the trite phrase, do as I say, not as I do. Jesus is not that type of example. He's not that type of teacher. He's living out exactly what he said is to be the way of the kingdom. Here, by rights, all of these people, including you and I, are his enemies. And yet, even in the moment of ultimate pain, he is making peace. He is offering forgiveness and, in fact, praying for forgiveness. Praying to the Father that they would be forgiven. Praying to the Father that we would be forgiven. He says, while you are being persecuted, in verse 44 of Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He meant it. And he lived it, and he showed us how to be the same. He goes on to say in verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus was being Serious. As you reflect on this story, as you reflect on forgiveness in your own life, both receiving it from the Lord and offering it to others, maybe people who you would consider naturally in your flesh an enemy, I want you to reflect on the following questions, especially this first one. And I was careful about the wording of it. How has the radical, incredible, unfathomable forgiveness and love of Jesus transformed you into an agent of forgiveness and reconciliation? If you and I have not ourselves become 
ministers of reconciliation who flow in forgiveness, then we have not fully received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because like we started, like we read at the beginning of the service in Colossians 3, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. And so how has the radical, incredible, unfathomable forgiveness and love of Jesus transformed you into an agent of forgiveness and reconciliation? Secondly, who do you need to forgive today? I had a friend ask me that about a year and a half ago, just the simple question, who do you need to forgive today? It was a group of us, and it was such a helpful, profound question. And I've used that, that simple question in, in different settings over the past couple years. So who do you need to forgive today? Surely there's something that you're holding on to, some resentment, some offense that you can release to the Lord and seek reconciliation. And finally, was Jesus really being serious in Matthew 5? This love your enemy stuff that he talks about, was he actually being serious? I want to invite you to reflect on these questions and then join us for this morning's benediction. I really hope you took some time to reflect on those questions, especially the first one that was asked after the end of the sermon. The question, has the radical, incredible, unfathomable forgiveness and love of Jesus transformed you into an agent of forgiveness and reconciliation? Because this is exactly what the gospel is meant to do in our lives. This is exactly what it means to imitate Jesus. He gave us this example, even while he was being crucified, even while he was being mocked and bruised on our behalf, he took the time to pour out the forgiveness of God on those around him, even as he was being crucified. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us, and that's the type of love that we are to have for others. In fact, so much so that we are called to join Jesus in his ministry of reconciliation. And that's where I want to wrap up today's service with a benediction from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the ministry of reconciliation that through Christ has been entrusted to us. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Let's pause there for just a moment. I know this is a benediction, and I'm not going to launch into a, a long teaching or anything, but think about that. In Christ, we are no longer to regard anyone from a worldly point of view. I want to invite you this week to do some reflection. Are you viewing people from a worldly point of view? Are you viewing people from the lens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? All right, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was great to have you with us in this journey. I hope that you have a wonderful week. Go with God and be blessed.